You're listening to Indigenous Boom, a podcast by the Atlantic Policy Congress of First Nation Chief Secretariat, featuring conversations on Indigenous health, education, and economic prosperity. Now your host, Krista Thompson. Today on Indigenous Boom, we're going to talk to Fred Bergman from the Atlantic Provinces Economic Council. We had talked to Fred previously on his report, The Economic Cost of COVID-19, Supporting the Recovery of Indigenous Firms and Communities. That was published in September of 2020. So we wanted to follow up with Fred to see where we are today compared to where we were then. Welcome back, Fred. It's great to see you again. Since last we spoke, what significant changes have happened for Indigenous communities across the Atlantic region regarding the COVID-19 relief? Well, good afternoon, Krista. Um, in terms of what's changed since we issued the report last year and since we last spoke uh, in an earlier podcast, uh, the federal government in last fall's um, uh, economic statement uh, made some announcements respecting funding for the Indigenous Community Support Fund. Uh, and in total, they roughly doubled the funding uh, from about $600 million to about $1.2 billion. So for the Indigenous communities in this region, uh, including the Natsivut uh, in Labrador, um, they received about $39 million in total. Now, that does also include some funding for um, off-reserve uh, Indigenous organizations as well. Uh, so about uh, $32 million of that went to uh, Atlantic uh, First Nations communities, uh, including about $10.7 million uh, um, for Nanatsi of it. Uh, so fairly significant funding, and that's more than double uh, what we saw last year prior to that. Now this funding is still being rolled out, so it's possible. Um, this, I think, is the latest numbers as of January 21st this year. So there could be more funding headed uh, this way. It's hard to say. Uh, APAC can't speculate or predict what that will be, but there's a good chance that there could be more funding. Um, how do you, do you see that the influx of funding has affected um, our Atlantic Indigenous communities? Well, certainly some of the funding now is needs-based, and, and uh, I think there was about $7 million in total uh, for this region. Uh, that was needs-based beyond just the direct allocation, and that's included in the $39 million figure. Now, some of that is for, um, uh, once again, the off-reserve Indigenous organizations, but communities that are a bit harder hit could tap into that needs-based funding as well, sort of like a top-up. In talking to some people in the community, I heard that they are now eligible for some funding for their own source revenue enterprises. Yeah, in the, in the latest announcement too, in the fall economic statement last year, which was re-released by Indigenous Service, Services Canada, uh, I think in January of this year, uh, at that time, beyond just the doubling of the Indigenous Community Support Fund nationally, uh, which we had actually recommended they do that in our report, that they double that funding. Uh, so it was really great to see them do that. And it's not because APEC said do it. It's just I'm sure there was many other organizations like uh, your organization, the communities at large, Olnawag, uh, Jedi in this region, uh, and First Nations communities across Canada, uh, and other key stakeholders like the, the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business. They were all pushing for more funding. So in terms of the own source revenues, they went up by about a quarter of a billion dollars in terms of 
funding the offsets for the communities uh, in terms of lost revenues. So the federal government uh, through Indigenous Services Canada is providing $333 million to help offset some of those own, own source revenue losses that the communities experience. For example, in the fisheries where they lost in this region, an estimated 100 million, I think we had in the report uh, that another consultant had produced a try nav, I think. In the gaming as well? It would also go towards offsetting gaming losses. Gaming would be another big one. Losses in tourism uh, activity. Um, you know, there, there would be uh, restaurants, gas bars that might have had to close temporarily. You know, lots of examples. And I know just recently, um, uh, one of the organizations that oversees gaming, at least for the non-Indigenous uh, gaming here in Halifax, Sydney, uh, and in Moncton, New Brunswick as well. I think it's a great Canadian gaming corporation. Uh, they had about th uh, lost about three quarters of their revenues last year in gaming. So down 75% annually. So you can imagine in the communities, it would be a very large hit as well. Because I know last spring, they had to close for about three months before they could reopen. And some of them probably had to close again since then uh, as cases picked up in the fall. Um, so why is this funding um, from the government for Indigenous businesses so important? Well, I think um, it helps fund programs in the Indigenous communities. You know, I think in the report we had estimated that at least two-thirds of own source revenues went towards funding programs in the communities, whether that's health, whether that's education, whether that's recreation, uh, infrastructure, social services, you know, the list would go on uh, in terms of the funding that it helps bring into the communities. Uh, now, some may argue that it's actually for every dollar lost that there'd be a dollar lost in program funding. It depends on your your interpretation of where that money goes, because some of it might go to hire consultants or to pay interest on debt or, or things like that. So it can go towards other things, mm -hmm. uh, but certainly it it having that funding, um, some of that kind of offset by the federal government, it makes a big difference to be able to maintain those programs within the communities. Absolutely. Um, what more do you think... Um, needs to be done in order to support in the Indigenous community's recovery of COVID-19? Well, certainly, you know, looking forward, it's it's hard to predict where things will head. Uh, but certainly increased access to capital would be nice. We had talked about that in the report, um, how some of the communities aren't members of the First Nations Finance Authority, so they can't tap into that funding. Uh, you know, the provincial governments across Canada uh, could tap into the provincial bond purchase program from the Bank of Canada. So they got funding effectively through the federal government to help with liquidity uh, for um, non-Indigenous governments. But what about Indigenous governments? How can they tap into more fu uh, financing? Now, for some communities, they can't afford to borrow. And, and so maybe they don't want to borrow. But as we head into the post-recovery period, once we get by COVID-19, Obviously, things like infrastructure stimulus can help get the economy going again. And so that's where you're going to need access to financing and access to capital. So I still think that's important. And the great thing we saw um, late last fall, and, and it's been made official now, is the Clearwater deal. And the First Nations Finance Authority uh, provided a quarter of a billion dollars towards um, uh, uh, the Mi'kmaq coalitions or partnerships uh, in 50% uh, equity investment. Uh, in Clearwater. So that was really great to see. That's a perfect example how more access to financial capital can stimulate uh, economic activity in the region. So right now we're seeing another spike in cases across the Atlantic region. How do you think uh, businesses will, will fare? 
Well, certainly we've, we've seen spikes in New Brunswick, uh, Avalon Peninsula, Newfoundland and Labrador. I think come next week in New Brunswick is going to hopefully move back to the yellow phase, uh, I think was the deadline they were hoping to get to. And the cases are starting to trend back down, um, which is great. Uh, and it's, they're starting to trend down a bit in the Avalon Peninsula, Newfoundland and Labrador as well. But we even seen recently a bit of a spike here in Nova Scotia. Uh, so anytime you move to a red zone or a lockdown, obviously that leads to restrictions, whether that's a closure of a casino or a gaming facility, whether that's a closure of a restaurant or reduced capacity at a restaurant, uh, a closure of a gym um, um, and other recreational facilities um, and so on. Uh, and so certainly as the cases rise, there's a, a risk that we could see more business closures uh, and there's also the risk of COVID itself, uh, which means, you know, some of the communities have to move back to a situation where they're actually restricting uh, movement in and out of the community to protect the community. But that means you have less foot traffic, which we talked about in the report, which means less sales at your retail stores, at your gas bars, at your restaurants, even at your gaming when they are allowed to remain open. Uh, so certainly there's uh, real risks there. And uh, I think since late November, there's been about 10 cases reported in indigenous communities here in the Atlantic region. Yeah, we've been very fortunate not to have a lot of cases in our communities. So moving forward, uh, what do you, what's your prediction on the indigenous relief and supports for indigenous communities um, from here on? From here on out? Yeah, well, certainly we, we've, um, we've seen about a $144 million for, for um, skills investments or labor and skills. And we had talked about that in the report. It was important to provide funding for youth, uh, older workers, uh, and so on, um, that are impacted, may have lost their job or been laid off uh, because of some of the, the lockdowns and the restrictions due to COVID-19 uh, or the reduced demand for goods and services. So certainly um, continued investments in skills is important. There was a recent announcement by the federal government uh, to extend the Canadian uh, or the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy uh, and the rental uh, program as well, CACERA, as I call it for short. It's a long handle, so I don't want to say the whole podcast, um, uh, have been extended to June. They were scheduled to end this month, I think, around March 12th, and they've been now extended for roughly another three months. So hopefully there'll be continued um, uh, changes like that to help Indigenous communities as well. Uh, now from... Uh, our perspective, look, in the report, we did talk about some programs like the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy. Some of the communities can't get access to that because a First Nation government, um, you know, is restricted in terms of um, being able to claim that because normally it's for organizations that um, are incorporated. Uh, and the other restriction for other types of businesses in the community uh, is that they have to have uh, filed a tax return in the last couple of years uh, to be eligible. And so some... Um, businesses that operate exclusively on reserve uh why would they bother because they they have a tax exemption so well there um i don't know if you heard the podcast with only and matt Tapper. he had said that the on reserve um, businesses that may have not filed taxes or things like that are still eligible for emergency uh funding through <sighs> through only um and they haven't turned down anyone yet that's great to hear. Um, that would be the emergency loan fund. And that's another program that actually got increased. So um, there's a non-Indigenous program called CEBA, the Canadian or the Canada Emergency uh, Business Account, I think it's called. Uh, and 
both programs, both the emergency loan fund, say from all in the wake, which is for, from all Aboriginal financial institutions in Canada, uh, at the time of our report, they were providing a maximum 40000 in funding, uh, including a $10,000 non-repayable contribution if you met certain um, requirements. Uh, well, since then, both SEBA and the Olnawig Emergency Loan Fund, um, since our report, have been increased to $60,000. So a $20,000 increase and half of that is non-repayable, so $10,000. So in the original funding, only a quarter of it was non-repayable. Now, now um, uh, three quarters or one, th I should say not three quarters, one third of that is now repayable, non-repayable. So upwards of a $20,000 grant versus the $60,000 funding in total. So that's great because in our report, we had talked about, you know, just the cost of PPE alone uh, and some of the losses we were seeing at, at Indigenous businesses across the region. Our survey suggests that those costs were close to $60,000. So the $40,000 was not kind of hitting the mark, to put it bluntly. Uh, so it's certainly better. It's an improvement. Uh, but it's great to hear um, that Matt Tapper, who I didn't reach out to today, but at least I printed off the only way $60,000 funding. I did confirm that it increased. I, I thought about reaching out to Matt and I didn't. Uh, so it's great to hear that they're not turning down anybody. <laughs> no, they, they have a hundred percent rate so far. They've Anybody who's applied. So everybody that's been effectively eligible, there's been nobody denied. So that's really great to hear. Yeah. Uh, now, the only my only concern there, because you asked about you know what else could governments do in terms of funding, even though they increased the maximum from forty thousand to sixty thousand, I've yet to see anything to say that the total pool of money, the total pot nationally, has increased. So initially, they had set aside, I think it was three hundred six point eight million. Let's call it three hundred seven million to keep it simple uh, for your audience. That number, as far as I know, is still the same. So they've increased the individual maximum amount you can get uh but will that be enough in the long run and that's only until the end of march is that yeah i'd have to check to see when that sure yeah 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 if that's been extended or not that i don't know at this point i know we've talked a lot about the supports that are available for communities is there anything i'm missing any other topics that you think that um our listeners would like to hear about uh yeah i, I did talk briefly about the clearwater deal um, and, um, and, and how significant that is to the region. Uh, so certainly, you know, having access um, to that resource, direct access, and the ability to create more jobs in Indigenous communities. Uh, and, I, and I think um, there's seven Indigenous communities in the region as part of that deal, uh, including one community in Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, and the remainder, I think, in Nova Scotia, and the option for other communities, I think, in the region to sign on to that go forward. Uh, as well. I think so. That's my recollection, recollection anyhow, there was an option uh, in, in the future. Uh, so there's, there's great potential there um, because we saw the importance of the, the fisheries to Indigenous communities uh, in the report done by uh, Trinav consultants, which we referenced in our report. Uh, so that's often referred to as a landmark deal. Oh, definitely. It's going to have a huge impact in the future on our communities for sure. Great. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Uh, I think that's the bulk of it. Um, you know, certainly, if, if there are any risks of shutdowns uh, and restrictions, obviously, you know, there's more costs for business. Every time they close, there's reopening costs. Um, uh, every time, you know, there's a, a, a spike in cases, maybe they have to invest more in PPE, including security, deep cleaning, uh, masks, gloves, shields. 
face shields and so on. So we, we know there's costs there. Um, I think as we move out of the pandemic, and we will move past it at some point uh, as the vaccines roll out, and, and hopefully uh, the bulk of the Canadian population will be, will be fully vaccinated by September of this year. Uh, at that point, we kind of have to start looking forward to the post-COVID-19 um, uh, economic recovery plan. Uh, and certainly it's important for Indigenous communities to have a plan of their own uh, about how they get back. Because uh, it may take a few years. This will not happen overnight. We're well aware that some sectors will take, you know, three to four years to recover, whether it's air transportation, whether it's tourism. Uh, and I'm sure there's lots of other examples as well. Um, uh, and so certainly uh, it, it's important to have a plan. Uh, and even um, it's important to kind of how do we get more export promotion uh, for Indigenous communities. Uh, so, you know, selling their products and services uh, outside this region to other provinces, to other countries. Uh, how do we uh, increase automation uh, in Indigenous businesses? Uh, because with automation, you know, if you have another pandemic down the road, at least you can push the easy button and maybe not be as at risk of having to shut down your operations because of COVID-19. Absolutely. And I was just at a conference um, talking with um, some representatives from COA and they're, they're on board to help with that kind of financing to support um, the development of all of those resources for businesses that have to pivot. And I know that um, for Nova Scotia, the NSBI has a program to support businesses to get export ready. And that doesn't mean international, it's just even out of province. So there's all kinds of opportunities. We just need to um, get them out to the, to the communities. Exactly. And, and then on the closing, from, from my perspective, Krista, uh, the one other thing I'd like to add in terms of go forward plans to kind of help with the recovery uh, is to ensure there's access to rural broadband in some of these remote communities uh, so that, you know, the communities can access things through e-commerce. Um, you know, buy PPE or other supplies during a pandemic. They can operate their business online. Uh, they can uh, uh, pivot to working remotely if they have to again, uh, or maybe they just want to, they like working remotely so much now that they just want to do it from here to the end of time. Uh, so certainly uh, access to e-commerce, access to internet uh, are going to be paramount go forward. And we're heading in that uh, direction of more digitalization. For example, social media and podcasts being a perfect example. Exactly. And I know that um, the Atlantic Chiefs are working hard with different uh, service providers to make sure that broadband is getting to their community. So, but I think it's going to be a two-year plan. So it's not something that's going to just happen overnight. No, you're right. And, and even I know the plan just for the region as a whole, uh, it's not going to, even within the next few years, it's not going to be 100% of households, Indigenous and non-Indigenous, having access to high-speed internet everywhere there's still going to be some that are outside the service area, which is unfortunate, but uh, there are um, a lot of complications in terms of connecting these more rural communities. For sure. We noticed in our, um, in some of our meetings, we have people working from home and they have terrible, <laughs> they can't even get on the video conference because their, their Wi-Fi is so bad. Exactly. And it's, <laughs> it's spotty at best. I, I, I know where you're coming from. I've had some calls like that recently. <laughs> Well, great. I appreciate you taking the time today, Fred, and all this information is extremely valuable. We look forward to hopefully another report um, on the post-COVID recovery. Yeah, I think that's an important thing to do. Uh, I know um, the Secretariat and Apex kind of discussed that offline a little bit. 
Uh, I can't speculate on that, and and, and that's to this uh, up to the secretary to decide, not to APEC. Uh, but I think it's an important uh, piece of research that should be done. Definitely, because we definitely need a plan, and I think we should all be in in it together, as we are. Yeah, that's great. We're we're all in the same boat. Definitely. Yeah, and one big community at the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay, thank you. All right, thanks, Fred. Thank you for listening to Indigenous Boom, the new podcast from the Atlantic Policy Congress of First Nation Chiefs Secretariat.